Hey everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's DC Comic Review Show. This week we will be covering Superman number 30, Wonder Woman number 771, Joker number 2, Batman Urban Legends number 2, Rorschach number 7, and Batman the Detective number 1. My name is Brandon, and today I've got my amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Look, it just if somebody asks if you're a god, you say yes. Mm-hmm. And Josh. <laughs> right? Oh, hey, hello, humans. <laughs> We're here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover without worrying about what the publishers think. We are on Twitter at NotARobotComics. Rob is at Rob underscore 2814. And I remain allergic to Twitter, but that may change someday. We all answer show mail sent to NotARobotComics at gmail.com. The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps get the word out, and that's the best kind of advertising. Now is the time to say a big thank you to the humans who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon with tiers starting at just $1 a month so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more content. This is the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call. And that shout-out goes to our humans, Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, and Roch Crockett. A big salute to all of you, and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now and show us you just might be a human after all, and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human roll call. What's new this week, guys? Um, well... We okay, so we mentioned last week that Dwayne the Rock Johnson was wanting to go forward with his plans of incorporating the Snyderverse into his Black Adam movies, right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, HBO Max is supposed to be on board too. That said, uh, that's the latest rumor, anyway. That said, the most recent commercial on the streaming surface did call it the trilogy. But I'm kind of unsure if that means it's the end of the first three movies or if there's going to be two more to come, like Snyder wanted. I do know that the WB execs are blocking almost anybody with a hashtag Snyderverse uh, tag on their on Twitter accounts. But I guess we'll see. And uh, I checked those DC Comic Round Robin tournament uh, results. At least uh, as of 10 a.m., I have the standings. Mm-hmm. Also looking at it right now, fresh, and at least on my screen, it's the final results. Oh, okay. I thought th- those didn't get tallied until tomorrow. All right, what's the final results then? Uh, so it, it is Zatanna did beat Green Lantern 60 to 40. Oh, wow. Hmm. Robins wow. beat Animal Man 67 to 33. Okay. Blue Beetle won 59 to 41. And right. Suicide Squad 7 lost 49 to 51. Oh, man. Yeah. That Suicide Squad book sounded awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. Three out of the four was pretty much determined. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. Well, I guess I can. I I can believe that Superman and Lois did come back and beat Suicide Squad 7. Probably from the massive support of the fans from the TV show. Because you got to admit, that shit is great. Yeah. I love that show. And I, I, I pan on the CW shows all the time. And I love that show. Anyways, guys, you can find the descriptions for the books at the DC Universe website, and you can go over and vote on Twitter at DC Comics for your favorites in each bracket for the f- for the for next week. So go do it; <laughs> mm-hmm. it's pinned right at the top of their page. 
I think I talked long enough. What's going on new with you, Rob? Uh, well, not much, really. Same not old, new. same old. Same old, same old. Just living through COVID, going to work, and trying to survive. <laughs> well, I know according yeah. to what we heard earlier, Brandon is kind of running on caffeine and hope right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and pizza and a prayer. Yeah, uh, right. yeah it's... Uh, it's a uh, full disclosure. I'm 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 a working student, so I, I work, and I'm also a student. Um, and it's been a very busy week as we as we wind towards finals week, and also a pretty busy week at work. So hasn't been the best one, but uh, this is this is always fun to to look forward to to just sit and talk about comics for however long. So that's nice. Yeah, and he's on quite a few of our podcasts too. So um... oh yeah. Yeah, Brandon is definitely overworked. He's young, so he's got it in him, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I'm a workaholic. I don't know. I, I think I like to, to do it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> you said you think you do it to yourself? Yeah, I think I think I do, honestly. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I just get off on it, seeing how far I can stretch myself. Because um, I'll do this and the Marvel show and all the other work that I have. <laughs> just to see just to see if, I'm, if I can actually do it. But With that said... Let's uh, let's segue into our books for this week. So first up, we have Superman number thirty, uh, who apparently Brandon thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Don't be surprised if I show up in the book this week. But uh, yeah, Superman number thirty. Uh, Rob, you want to tell us about that one? Yes, sir. So this one comes from Philip Kennedy Johnson, writing with. Art by Scott Godlewski. Colors from Gabe Eltreb and letters from Dave Sharp. So the Kent family are having a great day out together when Clark hears a distant call from someone he knew a very long time ago. John also hears it and they race off to see what the trouble could be. They end up on Thakram, a planet Clark has visited before. He and the planet's ruler fought off an invader they named the Shadow Breed, a parasite that consumes heat and light. Clark and John are met by Falder, a resident scientist. Falder tells them the once ruler has died and his son has taken over. On top of that, no call was made to Clark as the ruler had died before the time Clark says he received the call. Clark and John say their goodbyes and fly off, but Clark isn't satisfied. He takes John to the burial site of the Shadow Breed, only to find the communicator used to make the call and the cage the Shadow Breed was held in, now empty. Clark realizes what's going on too late, as we now see the Shadow Breed has infected Falder and is slowly gaining the rest of the planet. So I thought this was a very interesting one. It was yeah, a big step I, up from last uh, I, last issue. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm in the minority, but like I'm kind of really digging Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman. Yeah, the the first couple of issues I was a little iffy on, but this mm. one has me pretty interested, and yeah. it's definitely a good setup issue for the next arc. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I probably enjoyed the Golden Age um, a little more than you guys, just because I was interested in what they were trying to do with the direction um, between uh, John and Clark's relationship, and mm-hmm. it seems like they're keeping on that train, which I really like. Um, I just... I really like the the opening kind of um, monologue with, well, I guess not monologue, but like reflection that Superman has about John, and it kind of continues throughout the issue. And I just, it really, it really stuck with me, especially as someone who had read all of you know Tomasi's Superman and mm-hmm. loved that relationship between father and son. And it's kind of interesting to see how that relationship has changed now that John is older. But 
Um, it's it's a it's a more thoughtful uh, reflection than I think Bendis gave us, which is what I appreciate more. Oh, oh very sure, much. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, you're right. The dialogue was good. The characterization was good. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed the art here. Oh, yeah. The this art is, was much better. <laughs> this is really good stuff after suffering through seeing John Romita Jr. draw the character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I do like how Superman was written to be more... I don't know. I, I feel like when Bendis had the reins, he was written where he was constantly saying, I don't know. Yeah. And this felt, he this didn't felt know like was he was on. leaving that behind. You know, yeah. I thought it was great, man. I gave this one an eight out of ten. Yeah, I agree. I gave this one an eight point two five out of ten. Where I just, it's a very, it's a very mature Superman. I felt mm -hmm. like we've been getting a, a weird Superman for the past two years. It's nice to see a more yeah. reflective, yeah. mature Superman. Yeah, I, personally, I gave this a seven point five. It it was a big step up. I felt from the first arc, but it's still. If if you want a bigger score, at least for me, a bigger story. But we'll see where this goes. This could be a big story. Mm -hmm. It sounds it's set up like it's going to be. And yeah. I mean, I'm 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 really interested. I it only got an eight out of ten because I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I can't get excited about a setup issue. I just refuse to. But so far, so good, man. Yeah. yeah. I am kind of tired. I guess I could say of just the teasing of Superman dying or going away. Because it's something that we've seen so many times before. Yeah, it feels like they're building to some, I'm guessing, some kind of, you know, event or summer event. It, where Honestly, what it, it feels like to me that they're building toward the future state Superman where he's off on Warworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just mean like a summer event where he, he will, you know, die with giant quotation marks around the word die because we right. all know that's not actually yeah. going to happen he, yeah maybe go missing or something yeah. in that vein yeah, yeah. yeah. Superman's going to be forced to retire or disappear or whatever and John will take his place Yeah, maybe not this summer but soon oh yeah you know? yeah I, I definitely think it's leading towards it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but enough of Superman let's catch up with everyone's favorite Metropolis detective Ambush Bug. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, tell us all about Ambush Bug, the hard scrabbled, hard boiled gumshoe. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. Man, I love it when we get a story about Ambush Bug, and I was really looking forward to this. It's been a while since we've seen him. Uh, this one is written by Sean Lewis with art by Sammy Basri and Ulysses Ariola and Dave Sharp on those letters. In the opening panel, it calls this story an insect noir. And, I mean, the way that Brandon introduced Ambush Bug, that's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the issue starts out with Jimmy Olsen teaching the heroes that were assembled by Blippo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you can tell I was uh, that I'm raising a five-year-old. Uh, he, <laughs> he was assembled by Bibbo, <laughs> and he's teaching them about a couple new bad guys. Uh, the first is Projectress, who can make illusions of your fantasies and fears, which gives me some Scarecrow vibes. And her partner, Deadstream, who gets to merge himself with water and can go anywhere. And that, in fact, is exactly what he does. Of course, he actually makes his way into Ambush Bug's coffee. And goofy-ass Ambush Bug is trying to say what's going on, but everyone is just assuming that he's being goofy-ass Ambush Bug. <laughs> nope. 
uh, quick question. Who's the big blonde dude with the blue skin? Either one of you guys know? I have no idea. I thought it might have been um, a character from Starman, who is one of the older Starman, but I don't... I'm not not 100% sure on that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I did see somebody, you know, a couple other people in there that looked familiar, but that big blue skin dude i mean he seemed pretty prominent in the book like i should know who he is and i don't so yeah i thought i'd ask yeah but anyway so ambush bug teleports to face off with deadstream which leads him to where projectress is and now ambush bug is left dealing with that as the story closes and um this one was fun as hell it is totally typical ambush bug but it's done in a really cool way and i absolutely loved it this one also gets an eight out of ten from me as well and I guess I guess that gives the whole book an eight out of ten. The uh, the art in this was coolest. It was really really cool. And I I guess I feel I feel like it was just a whole a whole lot more detail than is typically given to Ambush Bug. And I love his goofy ass. He's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was a step up from the last backup, which I thought was a solid story. But the the writing, specifically the dialogue, was throwing me off a little bit. This one was a little bit more improved, just because Ambush Bug is a sillier character, so you can really take some liberties with that. Um, so I ended up giving this one an 8 out of 10. Very satisfying. Um, and I'm doing the math right now, and my average is 8.125 <laughs> out of 10. So that's where <laughs> yeah, we're Yeah, I, I love <laughs> Ambush Bug, too. He's such a fun character in all the, the action and destruction that you typically see in Metropolis. He kind of reminds me of John yeah. Constance without all the bad news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, um, Superman had an old um, ally, I guess. Um, you might know him from the Superman animated TV show, and you might also know him from Final Crisis. His Ooh. name was Dan Turpin. I guess he was oh, yeah. one of the yeah the older detectives from you know Action Comics back in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like the Metropolis, you know, gumshoe detective character um, who would just kind of go around and, you know, be your standard private eye. Um, right. I guess Ambush Bug is filling that void because I don't know what Dan Tur- I don't even know if he's still alive after a Final Crisis. Uh, man, I don't remember him in any books for a very long time. Yeah, no. He might not even be mm-hmm. in canon anymore. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, no, we've no, got yeah. the omniverse, so now everything's in canon. Oh yeah, I'm that's just right. looking at the the end of the ambush bug story, and I don't know how accurate it is if this is actually going to be what's in the next tales from Metropolis. But it says next time Gangbuster versus Loose Cannon, and it has that blue guy with the blonde hair. So, mm. all right, well, that okay. Let me look at that again. I must have skimmed yeah. it. Okay, so that loose dude cannon, is Game yeah. Buster. So the other one must be Loose Cannon. Yeah. All right, so that solved that. I still don't know who the hell Loose no. Cannon is. But and honestly, the name, just just judging by their design, the names could be interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Gangbuster is a pretty uh, established character. He's been around Metropolis for a oh, okay. long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Sweet. Next, we will move on to Wonder Woman 771, and this issue was brought to us by uh, Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad as the writers, Travis Moore provided the art, and the colors were given to us by Tamara Bonvillain. 
This issue sees uh, Wonder Woman continue to investigate the mystery of the uh, missing warriors in Valhalla, uh, and basically go on a bit of a quest with uh, Ratatosk to attempt to solve the mystery, uh, where she investigates the realm of the dwarves, Nidavellir, which you might recognize from Norse mythology. You might also recognize mm-hmm. it from Avengers Endgame, even though that's a Marvel movie and we're on the DC podcast. But in any case, um, they're in the uh, forge of the dwarves in Nidavellir. She meets an old she meets an old foe, though she doesn't have any memory of who that foe is. Um, and proceeds to go on to find out more answers about where the missing warriors have gone on to. Um, that leads her to a quest with a uh, snake by the name of Nidhogg, who is basically asking Wonder Woman to feed her, but um, not not in a way that uh, that will result in her getting killed. So, in essence, she has to go on a quest to find an eagle egg that will you know, fill his hunger. So she ends up going on a quest up Yggdrasil, the mystical tree of uh, Valhalla, where she is able to recover the egg. Uh, but instead of completely giving the egg and, and trading it for secrets about the missing warriors, she is able to sneak inside the egg as a way to deceive uh, Nidhogg so she can sneak inside, grab the key, and uh, and, you know, Find out the uh, find out the mystery. So I, I had a pretty uh, pretty good time with this issue. I'm, I think I'm still getting used to the style of writing. I'm not overly familiar with the uh, two writers, Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad. I mostly know Becky Clunan for her artwork. Um, yeah, so I think um, I'm still... I've seen them. I can't remember where I've seen them at before, but mm-hmm. I know that they teamed up like for a really short project. I'm completely blanking on what it was. Yeah, but I want to say that. It was kind of iffy, but towards the end of it, it got better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, they're they're definitely growing on me as a creative team. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I just I kind of have to settle into the voice a little bit. Um, but for me, the standout was definitely the art by Travis Moore. There's some really yeah. gorgeous panels. I think Travis is just able to capture facial expressions, uh, just absolutely mm-hmm. beautifully, um, especially during some of the scenes that close uh close up on diana um so i ended up giving this issue a 7.75 out of 10 uh like i said still settling into the writing but i was really satisfied with the the overall story and of course the artwork is absolutely spectacular but uh, yeah i thought this was fantastic the art was amazing The, the writing was so much fun i'm loving this story seeing diana in a a new pantheon mythos whatever you'd want to call it just something different from olympiad well even 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 more than that just different from what she's been written in for what seems mm-hmm. like forever just trope after trope after trope and it's mm-hmm. i love tony orlando in almost all of his books i just really did not like him at the helm of wonder woman and before and after that was kind of iffy too mariko tamaki that that was horrible i mean and not throwing shade at the creators they wonder woman just has not been treated well lately and this this just made me sit up and pay attention yeah it's been kind of a revolving door for the past you know three four years ever since greg rucka left the title 
Right. And they've just been trying to fill the void. So they got James Robinson. Didn't quite work out. They got G. Will Wilson. I thought that one was going to be amazing, but she left to do her own stuff. Then, like you said, Steve Orlando. She left to go in. over into the Sandman universe, yeah. didn't she? Yeah, yeah. That and um, and keep riding Invisible Kingdom over at uh, Dark Horse. Yeah. Um, and uh, like you said, Steve Orlando. Um, I I didn't hate it, but it was you know it wasn't the best in my opinion. Um, and then a Mariko lot of Tamaki. a lot of good ideas. Yeah, there just wasn't good follow through. Yeah, and then Mariko Tamaki's was you know essentially filler. Had some nice writing, but other than that, it just the story was completely forgettable. So, I hope that they keep this team around for you know a while, even if it's not the greatest <laughs> book in the world. It just needs. Some- <laughs> well, okay. First and foremost, all I got to say about the book is, damn squirrels, you just can't trust a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> but I I agree with you guys. It is it's it's not just cool, but man, it's flat out fun to read yeah. Wonder Woman in a story that's so different. Um, the art is fantastic. Moore isn't just a great artist, but Bonvillain is a major awesome colorist too. Oh yeah, and um, the, the what I like about the story is still that mystery of what's going on. And I totally suggest this art for a fun read, man. Um, I really do. The story, this one, was a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah, Rob, what did you uh, end up rating this issue? So for this one, I I rated it 8.5. Very nice, very nice. But we're not quite done with Diana yet because we need to take a look into the past and see what our good friend young Diana is up to. We're going so, back in time. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Rob, do you want to take it away? Okay, so this one comes from writer Jordi Belair with art by Paulina Ganutro. Colors from Kendall Good and letters by Becca Carey. Diana and Cleo are walking through the library of Themyscira, preparing young Diana for her lesson on Amazonian history. Cleo starts over the darker chapters when Helene interrupts, saying the lesson should not be so harsh to the Amazons. Diana disagrees, arguing that as a future leader, she should know more about the bloodier adventures. Helene continues that as a leader, she should also not be so focused on book, all except for one, the statue of Aphrodite. Diana convinces Cleo to let her find the missing book as Diana is craving adventure. They agree to keep it between them, but Helene is overhearing everything. So this one, to me at least, really felt like a, a filler arc. It, yeah, they they just they walked and talked, and here's more story for next issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, no, I I'm feeling a little different. I feel like the last issue was, well, the last time we saw this, I was not impressed whatsoever. But this one, I feel like it's kind of pointing us at the at where the story is going to go, you know, and I. I think that that's kind of cool that we're dipping into some new kind of uh, Amazonian Themyscarian lore. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we loved about Yara Flor. That's what we loved about Nubia was those interesting backstories. And we've okay. had stuff about Diana before, but it's all been real simple and cookie cutter. If it hasn't been an exact repeat every time we get a new origin story for her. it's something damn close mm-hmm. and you know I'd, I'd, I'd love to get more of that now that yeah. said it's fun but the art style is it's, it's still not my thing but I do like the story I did like the coloring 
but it's it's a small book it's not important it's a little fun i i gave this a seven out of ten so for the whole book i gave it an eight out of ten um which was a solid offering if nothing spectacular but i'd get this just for that first story well for sure yeah um i gave this a, a seven out of ten also it is a bit cartoony and like we were saying about the first one, at least what I said, I think it would be much better as a one shot geared towards children. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, or or even or even a, a like a well, what do they call those a YA yeah. graphic novel? Yeah, but it also feels, at least to me, it feels like there's a lot of unnecessary world building that we either already know or just doesn't need to be said. At least as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I, I I definitely felt like it was uh, definitely overly dense in some points where you really could have cut back on the mythology and all that stuff and really just kind of simplified it and gotten to the point. Um, and uh, it, it felt like a much more serious story at points, um, which didn't really work well with the artwork because you'd think, you know, with a book like Young Diana... With this kind of silly cartoony art style, you'd want something a bit more innocent. But this is kind of, I don't know, focusing on like how bad some of the the Amazons might be for keeping history locked away. It just it felt a bit more of a tonal shift than the last uh, short story we got. So I ended up giving this one a seven out of ten. Uh, totally makes sense. Right there with you. And uh, that averaged out to i ended up giving the the main story 7.5 the backup story 7 out of 10 uh so my full score averaged out to 7.25 fair enough but we spent enough time with diana let's shift away from the princess of the amazons (laughs) to the prince of crime in gotham with joker number two uh, this issue was brought to us by James Tynan IV, artist Guillaume March, uh, with colors from Art Prianto and letters from Tom Napolitano. This issue sees Batman and Jim Gordon properly catching up, with Jim Gordon revealing the facts of his new mission as Joker Headhunter. Uh, and Jim and Batman are kind of going back and forth about Jim wanting to do the mission, but, you know, not feeling very sure about what he actually wants to do. And Batman kind of acting as the authority, making sure that Jim brings him in by the book. And that's when Jim drops a bombshell that admittedly I was not expecting, but I think that we had all kind of known, uh, revealing that he had always known that Barbara, who had kind of been checking in, saying that, you know, this isn't a good idea, you shouldn't go after the Joker... Uh, that he always knew that Barbara was actually Batgirl. You kind of have right. this jaw dropping. Right, moment. we kind of always knew yeah. that. Or it's always been kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge type of thing. But yeah. to hear him actually vocalize it for me was quite a surprise. But it's then that we cut away to South America, where Joker is at his safe house and is being confronted by the owners of that safe house after Joker essentially killed the very wealthy inhabitants uh, and decided that he was going to take his time. But after they're giving him guff about, you know, trying to get him the hell out of there, uh, that's when he reveals that he knows that everyone's coming after him, but he's going to do something about it and make sure that 
if they're coming after him, he's going to be coming after them in his own way. Uh, Jim and Barbara have a good heart-to-heart -heart about what he's doing, about his own feelings of inadequacy around the Joker, about how he feels that he let James Jr. die, and about how Barbara is also suffering with the fact that Jim could essentially be going off to get himself killed. Um, but Barbara eventually acquiesces to Jim and says, you know, if you're going to go, you'll have to go. Um, and that's when we cut to the final few pages of the book where we're checking in with our main enemies and we really see that the manhunt for Joker is on, where three different groups are essentially pooling their resources together and trying to determine how to properly go after the Joker. We have a new collective in Hooper County, Texas. We have a prison in Santa Prisca, which appears to be trying to create a new Bane, except this one may apparently be the daughter of Bane, and the big shock at the end, the woman, Cressida, who had hired James um, to basically go after the Joker, is actually a member of the Court of Owls, who have finally decided that it's time to teach Joker to beware the Court of Owls properly. Um, I thought this issue was very, very solid, very, very enjoyable read. I really love this horror take um, on the Joker, not so much a book focusing on, you know, him going around killing people, but essentially his presence and how harmful he's been to so many people. It's a really interesting approach. It's almost like a book about the idea of Joker, which I, I find to be fascinating. Um, the art by Guillaume March is particularly standout. Um, I just love the way that he renders this aging, almost like melancholy Jim Gordon. It's just really beautiful to look at. So um, I ended up scoring this one uh, a little lower than the first issue, and I gave it a 7.75 out of 10, just because it, it didn't quite hit me as strongly as the first issue, but I still had a really great time. Um, with that being said, Josh, how did you feel about this issue? Uh, first and foremost, amazing artwork, just flat out amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly flipped through this story a few times just yeah. for that. And uh, speaking of the story, I really, really love what they're doing with James Gordon. Uh, the Gotham-centric characters, they are really putting a lot of effort into developing them. Mm -hmm. And they're all really starting to get these personalities fleshed out. I'm loving that part, man. So keep it up, guys. Um, they're keeping Batman attached, but not the central character to the story, which makes a lot of sense. We know who the woman is now. The Court of Owls is back. And a female Bane, I didn't consider yeah. it to be his daughter. But, I mean, she might... It might be a revenge thing. She, It could just be a female that's been programmed to hate the Joker. I don't know. But hell yeah. Yeah, Give I think, I, I, think I saw an article or something that said it was Bane's daughter. So I might be I might be throwing that in there. But <laughs> I, I felt, felt like they were... Spoiler alert! Yeah. <laughs> it felt like, uh, felt like they were trying to, uh, trying to tie that in pretty heavily given they're at the Santa Priestkin prison where Bane was famously ruling and all that stuff yeah it makes sense that would make sense mm. i just didn't know he had a daughter yeah okay well yeah well Rob, obviously for me holy crap issue? what a good issue i i had a blast reading this the court of court of owls with the new bane just so many big things and revelations this issue 
again, like Jim Gordon revealing how much he knows about Barbara. As much as that for me was a great shock, it's also just like, yeah, that makes sense. He's a detective. He's he's probably Gotham's best one. <laughs> I don't yeah. Well, even then, like, I mean, other than who, like, who knows? Because if he, what else does he know? He's alluding that he might know other stuff, but I, Probably I doubt they'll ever tell us. It's all just an illusion. Yeah. Um, it's obviously just an allusion to it. Well, it's it's like that that episode of uh, of Batman the animated series where you know Batgirl dies and he's basically able to trace the web back to Bruce Wayne. So my guess is if he knows that, you know, Barbara Gordon has been Batgirl all this time, it's probably yeah. it doesn't take that much police work to figure out that Bruce is Batman. And from there, you know, you can pretty much figure out everything. Yeah. And also like that episode of the Harley Quinn cartoon, you were damn good cop, Jim Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't I love that. Show. Oh God. I can't wait for season three. <laughs> You're gonna, you're going to have to. Yeah. It is definitely not going to be here until the very, at the earliest, the very end of 2021, but more than likely the middle of 2022. Oh man, <laughs> yep. such a great show. I guess I'll just have to rewatch it three more times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So while I, Joker, while Joker hides out in South America, let's catch up with his current girlfriend, Punchline. Oh, uh, right. Josh, do you want to take it away? Um, no, I'm going to leave it here for everybody to enjoy. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, we are definitely going to cover Punchline. And that was a story written by Sam Johns and James Tiny Onion, Tinian IV, <laughs> with art from Mirko. Hey, he calls his, his newsletter that. I can call him the Tiny yeah, Onion. Fair That's enough. totally fair. He gave us permission. Yeah. <laughs> with <laughs> We've got art from uh, Mirka Adolfo and Romeo Friado Jr. and lettering from Ariana Mar. Now, we start out with, I'm assuming, the Queen of Hearts. It's It's... It's not how she's usually drawn, but she refers to herself as the queen, and she's got a lot of pull, and I can't think of any other queens in Gotham. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming it's just like, it's another queen of hearts, except this one's just, you know, standard gang leader. Yeah, with green hair, which yeah. threw me off. But anyway, she doesn't like the fact that Punchline is trying to run things, and she is putting things into play to stop just that. Meanwhile, our girl Bluebird and Dr. Tompkins are working against Punchline as well from the outside. Uh, after watching some Tic Tac videos, <laughs> very clever guys, <laughs> they know that they need to track down someone who was her only friend from childhood. Aiden Priest is the dude's name, and he's been keeping tabs on Punchline too. Back at the prison, the Queen of Hearts, I assume, has set up a parole violation for one of the, if not the, biggest earthbound female supervillains. And I won't spoil the surprise, but I really like this character. It's not somebody you see often, and it's cool to have her back in books. The art in this one, Fiardo does a great job, but honestly, the art was a little, I wouldn't say erratic, but definitely a little all over the place. The The punchline gets, story gets an 8 out of 10 for me. Uh, yeah. The whole book, I'm going to round up to a 9 out of 10 because I did have so much fun with this one. Even if it was lacking uh, just a little bit in the art department in the back half. Like that panel of Bluebird riding her motorcycle. That was crazy. What the hell was that? That yeah. was like, it was written for, it was drawn for a totally different comic book. Yeah. 
but in either case it was still a great book man so for sure the whole book it's a nine out of ten hell of a time oh yeah yeah no i i definitely uh had a really fun time with the punchline back up i think again just because it's it's awesome to see bluebird in action again i'm such a sucker for that character so anytime you put her in you know that book's getting an, an eight out of ten for me at least um but i, I actually <laughs> did kind of enjoy uh we're not partial at all yeah we're definitely not partial <laughs> no we claim to be uh bias free from the publishers <laughs> not the characters yeah not the characters <laughs> not the characters yeah, no. <laughs> it's the same it's the same with nightwing i can't i can't it just because of personal reasons, I, it's like impossible for me to to rate it lower than an eight out of ten, except for the Rick Race and stuff. But well, that right. was a, that's really over now. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, but yeah, no, I had a really fun time, and and I, I did kind of enjoy some of the stuff from Mirka and Dolfo, even if that motorcycle was really weird. Um, but oh, some of it was real good. Yeah, and then some of it was like, who drew this? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, I just. I had, I had a cool time with it, and I'm, I think I'm really just interested to see um, them get to the to the mystery of of this, you know, punchline thing, and um, and of course to see punchline come to blows with the mysterious character who I will not reveal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully that happens, cause uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Punchline's gonna get her ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fingers are crossed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love Punchline. I don't want her to die, but seeing her get her ass kicked is totally fine with me. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, Rob, how did you feel about this uh, Punchline backup? So I'm, I'm honestly thinking this mystery character. Just seeing how Alexis is going, it's going to be the complete opposite somehow, and there's going to be some like big twist, and and Punchline's just going to beat the shit out of the the mystery character instead. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Dude, that that's totally unreasonable, and oh my god, if that's what happens, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad at that book. Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> I mean, it, it, just, just I looking mean, at that it, last page, it, that's very it, fair. It, right? If, if Punchline physically just beats her in a fight, I'll be so mad. I'll, I'll write letters. I, I wouldn't even <laughs> say... Even it might not even be physical, but Punchline's very much more sadistic and mental. Yeah, like if okay, so if she arranges something or something, plants a trap, something along those lines, that I get. But yeah, I I thought it was great to see Harper back in costume. I know we saw her in costume last issue, I think, but to see yeah. her, you know, throwing batterings around and and yeah. just being detective like it's it's great to see that again. I was sad when they wrote her kind of out that she just didn't want to do it anymore. And I'm like this is a great character. It's such a waste, but it's it's great to see it back. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? After this is all done, after this story is all done, I want to see a Bluebird versus Black Alice arc. Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd it would be, be interesting. very interesting. Do you do you guys remember who Black Alice is? Very vaguely. Yeah. I think she worked with the uh, Birds of Prey at some point. She, uh, for, yeah, for for a little bit she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, but her like her whole thing is that she can absorb the powers from people near her. Yeah. And uh, the only thing is she can't. She doesn't have control over how long she has them, and she can only do. I think she can only do one at a time. But uh, I, I, it would be really cool to see a small group of of, of villains that uh, 
that Black Alice could borrow superpowers from going up against Bluebird. That would be cool. Would be. And drag drag Harper into it, and he can be a new bird, too. <laughs> yes. It would be Bluebird and Newbird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, so I, I gave this story uh, 7.75 out of 10, but for the whole book, I had to give it 9.75. Sweet. Well, we're not quite done in Gotham, folks. Next, we're going to be looking at some of our favorite characters in Batman Urban Legends number two, starting with Red Hood from Chip Zdarsky. So, Rob, I'm going to let you take that one in full. All right. So, like you said, writer Chip Zdarsky with art by Eddie Barrows with Ibra Ferreira and Julio Ferreira with Marcus Toe drawing the flashback sequences, Adriano Lucas on colors and Becca Carey on letters. So now we see Jason is reeling from his actions against Tyler's father. He calls Oracle in desperation, but cannot bring himself to face what he's done. In a flashback, we see Jason as a child living with his mother and her addiction. He has a run-in with her dealer in the hallway when he goes to get bread, as the dealer pushes him against the wall. After getting the bread and returning back to the apartment building, he sits in the hallway outside their apartment waiting for the dealer to leave. When he does, Jason has enough of his mouth and pushes him down the stairs, his first major act of violence. Back in the present, Batman is dealing with some goons when Oracle lets him know something is wrong with Jason. Batman heads to Jason's apartment, confronting him after finding out what Jason did. Jason does not respond well, and the two get into a fight. Batman gets the upper hand, knocking Jason down, but Tyler gets in the way, yelling at Batman to leave Red Hood alone. He's a good guy. So this dynamic that Jason and Tyler have, I think, is wonderful. It's it's a twist on Batman in a way, but yeah. but yeah. like a much darker tone that suits Red Hood so well. And seeing when Batman knocked Jason down, the just distraught look he had on his face was almost heartbreaking. You can tell he does not want to do this, and even yeah. after all these years, he does not know how to treat Jason. <laughs> Yeah, having to care for, you know, another orphaned kid is just, it's an idea that's haunting to Jason. And he wants to give the kid a better chance, but, you know, he's afraid that, you know, he 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 won't put him in the right hands. He doesn't want him to, as he says, send him in the hands of, you know, some wealthy billionaire so he can become another Robin or, or something like that. But it's, it's definitely a very interesting exploration of the character of Jason and how he's kind of haunted by mm-hmm. his past as Robin, but also his past, you know, living in, uh, living in poverty and having, you know, a drug addicted mother and kind of dealing with that anger as a child. So, um, it's just, it's a fascinating character study and I, I really enjoy it. And, um, oh man, is it ever, oh, Yeah. this, this one pulled on the feels for me so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing some emotional history attached to Jason's origin story is really good for his story and character. Oh, yeah. And it should help define him more as he's written, which I hope is longer than this six-part story. Uh, I know Chip Zdarsky isn't going to stick around that long, but I'd be okay with it for sure, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're already seeing some really good character building in just these two issues, and the art Every single panel looked A1, better than cherry pie, (laughs) B-A-U-T-full. Oh, man. (laughs) And that fight between Jason and Bruce, that was done so well. I just plain love this book. Easy 9 out of 10 story here for me. Definitely. 
everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's DC Comic Review Show. This week we will be covering Superman number 30, Wonder Woman number 771, Joker number 2, Batman Urban Legends number 2, Rorschach number 7, and Batman the Detective number 1. My name is Brandon, and today I've got my amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Look, just if somebody asks if you're a god, you say yes. Mm-hmm. And Josh. <laughs> right? Oh, hey, hello, humans. <laughs> We're here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover without worrying about what the publishers think. We are on Twitter at NotARobotComics. Rob is at Rob underscore 2814. And I remain allergic to Twitter, but that may change someday. We all answer show mail sent to NotARobotComics at gmail.com. The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps get the word out, and that's the best kind of advertising. Now is the time to say a big thank you to the humans who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon with tiers starting at just $1 a month so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more content. This is the Not a Robot Must Be a Human shout-out and roll call. And that shout-out goes to our humans, Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, and Roch Crockett. A big salute to all of you, and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now and show us you just might be a human after all, and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human roll call. What's new this week, guys? Um, well... We okay, so we mentioned last week that Dwayne the Rock Johnson was wanting to go forward with his plans of incorporating the Snyderverse into his Black Adam movies, right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, HBO Max is supposed to be on board too. That said, uh, that's the latest rumor, anyway. That said, the most recent commercial on the streaming surface did call it the trilogy. But I'm kind of unsure if that means it's the end of the first three movies or if there's going to be two more to come, like Snyder wanted. I do know that the WB execs are blocking almost anybody with a hashtag Snyderverse uh, tag on their on Twitter accounts. But I guess we'll see. And uh, I checked those DC Comic Round Robin tournament uh, results. At least uh, as of 10 a.m., I have the standings. Mm-hmm. Also looking at it right now, fresh, and at least on my screen, it's the final result. Oh, okay. I thought th- those didn't get tallied until tomorrow. All right, what's the final results then? Uh, so it, it is Zatanna did beat Green Lantern 60 to 40. Oh, wow. Hmm. Robins wow. beat Animal Man 67 to 33. Okay. Blue Beetle won 59 to 41. And right. Suicide Squad 7 lost 49 to 51. Oh, man. Yeah. That Suicide Squad book sounded awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. Three out of the four was pretty much determined. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. Well, I guess I can. I I can believe that Superman and Lois did come back and beat Suicide Squad 7. Probably from the massive support of the fans from the TV show. Because you got to admit, that shit is great. Yeah. I love that show. And I, I, I pan on the CW shows all the time. And I love that show. Anyways, guys, you can find the descriptions for the books at the DC Universe website, and you can go over and vote on Twitter at DC Comics for your favorites in each bracket for the f- for the for next week. So go do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pinned right at the top of their page. 
I think I talked long enough. What's going on new with you, Rob? Uh, well, not much, really. Same not old, new. same old. Same old, same old. Just living through COVID, going to work, and trying to survive. <laughs> well, I know according yeah. to what we heard earlier, Brandon is kind of running on caffeine and hope right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and pizza and a prayer. Yeah, uh, right. yeah it's... Uh, it's a uh, full disclosure. I'm 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 a working student, so I, I work, and I'm also a student. Um, and it's been a very busy week as we as we wind towards finals week, and also a pretty busy week at work. So hasn't been the best one, but uh, this is this is always fun to to look forward to to just sit and talk about comics for however long. So that's nice. Yeah, and he's on quite a few of our podcasts too. So um... oh yeah. Yeah, Brandon is definitely overworked. But he's young, so he's got it in him, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I'm a workaholic. I don't know. I, I think I like to do it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> you said you think you do it to yourself? Yeah, I think I think I do, honestly. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I just get off on it, seeing how far I can stretch myself. Because um, I'll do this and the Marvel show and all the other work that I have. <laughs> just to see just to see if, I'm, if I can actually do it. But With that said... Let's uh, let's segue into our books for this week. So first up, we have Superman number thirty, uh, who apparently Brandon thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Don't be surprised if I show up in the book this week. But uh, yeah, Superman number thirty. Uh, Rob, you want to tell us about that one? Yes, sir. So this one comes from Philip Kennedy Johnson, writing with. Art by Scott Godlewski. Colors from Gabe Eltreb and letters from Dave Sharp. So the Kent family are having a great day out together when Clark hears a distant call from someone he knew a very long time ago. John also hears it and they race off to see what the trouble could be. They end up on Thakram, a planet Clark has visited before. He and the planet's ruler fought off an invader they named the Shadow Breed, a parasite that consumes heat and light. Clark and John are met by Falder, a resident scientist. Falder tells them the once ruler has died and his son has taken over. On top of that, no call was made to Clark as the ruler had died before the time Clark says he received the call. Clark and John say their goodbyes and fly off, but Clark isn't satisfied. He takes John to the burial site of the Shadow Breed, only to find the communicator used to make the call and the cage the Shadow Breed was held in, now empty. Clark realizes what's going on too late, as we now see the Shadow Breed has infected Falder and is slowly gaining the rest of the planet. So I thought this was a very interesting one. It was yeah, a big step I, up from last uh, I, last issue. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm in the minority, but like I'm kind of really digging Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman. Yeah, the the first couple of issues I was a little iffy on, but this mm. one has me pretty interested, and yeah. it's definitely a good setup issue for the next arc. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I probably enjoyed the Golden Age um, a little more than you guys, just because I was interested in what they were trying to do with the direction um, between uh, John and Clark's relationship, and mm-hmm. it seems like they're keeping on that train, which I really like. Um, I just, I really like the the opening kind of. Um, monologue with well I guess not monologue but like reflection that Superman has about John and it kind of continues throughout the issue and I just it really it really stuck with me especially as someone who had read all of you know Tomasi's Superman and mm-hmm. loved that relationship between father and son and it's kind of interesting to see how that relationship has changed now that John is older but 
Um, it's it's a it's a more thoughtful uh, reflection than I think Bendis gave us, which is what I appreciate more. Oh, oh very sure, much. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, you're right. The dialogue was good. The characterization was good. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed the art here. Oh, yeah. The this art is, was much better. <laughs> this is really good stuff after suffering through seeing John Romita Jr. draw the character. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and I do like how Superman was written to be more... I don't know. I, I feel like when Bendis had the reins, he was written where he was constantly saying, I don't know. Yeah. And this felt, he this didn't felt know like was he was on. leaving that behind. You know, yeah. I thought it was great, man. I gave this one an eight out of ten. Yeah, I agree. I gave this one an eight point two five out of ten. Where I just, it's a very, it's a very mature Superman. I felt mm -hmm. like we've been getting a, a weird Superman for the past two years. It's nice to see a more yeah. reflective, yeah. mature Superman. Yeah, personally, I gave this a seven point five. It, it was a big step up. I felt from the first arc, but it's still. If if you want a bigger score, at least for me, a bigger story. But we'll see where this goes. This could be a big story. Mm -hmm. It sounds it's set up like it's going to be. And yeah. I mean, I'm 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 really interested. I it only got an eight out of ten because I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I can't get excited about a setup issue. I just refuse to. But so far, so good, man. Yeah. yeah. I am kind of tired. I guess I could say of just the teasing of Superman dying or going away. Because it's something that we've seen so many times before. Yeah, it feels like they're building to some, I'm guessing, some kind of, you know, event or summer event. It, where Honestly, what it, it feels like to me that they're building toward the future state Superman where he's off on Warworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just mean like a summer event where he, he will, you know, die with giant quotation marks around the word die because we right. all know that's not actually yeah. going to happen he, yeah maybe go missing or something yeah. in that vein yeah, yeah. yeah. Superman's going to be forced to retire or disappear or whatever and John will take his place Yeah, maybe not this summer but soon oh yeah you know? yeah I definitely think it's leading towards it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but enough of Superman let's catch up with everyone's favorite Metropolis detective Ambush Bug. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, tell us all about Ambush Bug, the hard scrabbled, hard boiled gumshoe. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. Man, I love it when we get a story about Ambush Bug, and I was really looking forward to this. It's been a while since we've seen him. Uh, this one is written by Sean Lewis with art by Sammy Basri and Ulysses Ariola and Dave Sharp on those letters. In the opening panel, it calls this story an insect noir. And, I mean, the way that Brandon introduced Ambush Bug, that's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the issue starts out with Jimmy Olsen teaching the heroes that were assembled by Blippo. <laughs> oh, God, you can tell I was uh, that I'm raising a five-year-old. Uh, he, <laughs> he was assembled by Bibbo, and he's teaching them about a couple new bad guys. Uh, the first is Projectress, who can make illusions of your fantasies and fears, which gives me some Scarecrow vibes. And her partner, Deadstream, who gets to merge himself with water and can go anywhere. And that, in fact, is exactly what he does. Of course, he actually makes his way into Ambush Bug's coffee. And goofy-ass Ambush Bug is trying to say what's going on, but everyone is just assuming that he's being goofy-ass Ambush Bug. <laughs> nope. 
uh, quick question. Who's the big blonde dude with the blue skin? Either one of you guys know? I have no idea. I thought it might have been um, a character from Starman, who is one of the older Starman, but I don't... I'm not not 100% sure on that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I did see somebody, you know, a couple other people in there that looked familiar, but that big blue skin dude i mean he seemed pretty prominent in the book like i should know who he is and i don't so yeah i thought i'd ask yeah but anyway so ambush bug teleports to face off with deadstream which leads him to where projectress is and now ambush bug is left dealing with that as the story closes and um this one was fun as hell it is totally typical ambush bug but it's done in a really cool way and i absolutely loved it this one also gets an eight out of ten from me as well and I guess I guess that gives the whole book an eight out of ten. The uh, the art in this was coolest. It was really really cool. And I I guess I feel I feel like it was just a whole a whole lot more detail than is typically given to Ambush Bug. And I love his goofy ass. He's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was a step up from the last backup, which I thought was a solid story. But the the writing, specifically the dialogue, was throwing me off a little bit. This one was a little bit more improved, just because Ambush Bug is a sillier character, so you can really take some liberties with that. Um, so I ended up giving this one an 8 out of 10. Very satisfying. Um, and I'm doing the math right now, and my average is 8.125 <laughs> out of 10. So that's where we're Yeah, I, I love <laughs> Ambush Bug, too. He's such a fun character in all the, the action and destruction that you typically see in Metropolis. He kind of reminds me of John yeah. Constance without all the bad news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For, um, Superman had an old um, ally, I guess. Um, you might know him from the Superman animated TV show, and you might also know him from Final Crisis. His Ooh. name was Dan Turpin. I guess he was oh, yeah. one of the yeah the older detectives from you know Action Comics back in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like the Metropolis, you know, gumshoe detective character um, who would just kind of go around and, you know, be your standard private eye. Um, right. I guess Ambush Bug is filling that void because I don't know what Dan Tur- I don't even know if he's still alive after a Final Crisis. Uh, man, I don't remember him in any books for a very long time. Yeah, no. He might not even be mm-hmm. in canon anymore. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, no, we've no, got yeah. the omniverse, so now everything's in camera. Oh yeah, I'm just right. looking at the the end of the ambush bug story, and I don't know how accurate it is if this is actually going to be what's in the next tales from Metropolis. But it says next time Gangbuster versus Loose Cannon, and it has that blue guy with the blonde hair. So, mm. all right, well, that okay. Let me look at that again. I must have skimmed yeah. it. Okay, so that loose dude cannon, is Game yeah. Buster. So the other one must be Loose Cannon. Yeah. All right, so that solved that. I still don't know who the hell Loose Cannon no. is. But and honestly, the name, just just judging by their design, the names could be interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Gangbuster is a pretty uh, established character. He's been around Metropolis for a oh, long, okay. long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Sweet. Next, we will move on to Wonder Woman 771, and this issue was brought to us by uh, Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad as the writers, Travis Moore provided the art, and the colors were given to us by Tamara Bonvillain. 
This issue sees uh, Wonder Woman continue to investigate the mystery of the uh, missing warriors in Valhalla, uh, and basically go on a bit of a quest with uh, Ratatosk to attempt to solve the mystery, uh, where she investigates the realm of the dwarves, Nidavellir, which you might recognize from Norse mythology. You might also recognize mm-hmm. it from Avengers Endgame, even though that's a Marvel movie and we're on the DC podcast. But in any case, yeah. um, they're in the uh, forge of the dwarves in Nidavellir. She meets an old she meets an old foe, though she doesn't have any memory of who that foe is. Um, and proceeds to go on to find out more answers about where the missing warriors have gone on to. Um, that leads her to a quest with a uh, snake by the name of Nidhogg, who is basically asking Wonder Woman to feed her, but um, not not in a way that uh, that will result in her getting killed. So, in essence, she has to go on a quest to find an eagle egg that will you know, fill his hunger. So she ends up going on a quest up Yggdrasil, the mystical tree of uh, Valhalla, where she is able to recover the egg. Uh, but instead of completely giving the egg and, and trading it for secrets about the missing warriors, she is able to sneak inside the egg as a way to deceive uh, Nidhogg so she can sneak inside, grab the key, and uh, and, you know, Find out the uh, find out the mystery. So I, I had a pretty uh, pretty good time with this issue. I'm, I think I'm still getting used to the style of writing. I'm not overly familiar with the uh, two writers, Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad. I mostly know Becky Clunan for her artwork. Um, yeah, so I think um, I'm still... I've seen them. I can't remember where I've seen them at before, but mm-hmm. I know that they teamed up. Like for a really short project, I'm completely blanking on what it was. Yeah, but I want to say that. It was kind of iffy, but towards the end of it, it got better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, they're they're definitely growing on me as a creative team. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I just I kind of have to settle into the voice a little bit. Um, but for me, the standout was definitely the art by Travis Moore. There's some really yeah. gorgeous panels. I think Travis is just able to capture facial expressions, uh, just absolutely mm-hmm. beautifully, um, especially during some of the scenes that close uh close up on diana um so i ended up giving this issue a 7.75 out of 10 uh like i said still settling into the writing but i was really satisfied with the the overall story and of course the artwork is absolutely spectacular but uh, yeah i thought this was fantastic the art was amazing The, the writing was so much fun i'm loving this story seeing diana in a a new pantheon mythos whatever you'd want to call it just something different from olympiad well even 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 more than that just different from what she's been written in for what seems mm-hmm. like forever just trope after trope after trope and it's mm-hmm. i love tony orlando in almost all of his books i just really did not like him at the helm of wonder woman and before and after that was kind of iffy too mariko tamaki that that was horrible i mean and not throwing shade at the creators they wonder woman just has not been treated well lately and this this just made me sit up and pay attention yeah it's been kind of a revolving door for the past you know three four years ever since greg rucka left the title 
Right. And they've just been trying to fill the void. So they got James Robinson. Didn't quite work out. They got G. Will Wilson. I thought that one was going to be amazing, but she left to do her own stuff. Then, like you said, Steve Orlando. She left to go in. over into the Sandman universe, yeah. didn't she? Yeah, yeah. That and um, and keep writing Invisible Kingdom over at uh, Dark Horse. Yeah. Um, and uh, like you said, Steve Orlando. Um, I I didn't hate it, but it was you know it wasn't the best in my opinion. Um, and then a Mariko lot of Tamaki. a lot of good ideas. Yeah, there just wasn't good follow through. Yeah, and then Mariko Tamaki's was you know essentially filler. Had some nice writing, but other than that, it just the story was completely forgettable. So, I hope that they keep this team around for you know a while, even if it's not the greatest <laughs> book in the world. It just needs. Some- <laughs> well, okay. First yeah. and foremost, all I got to say about the book is, damn squirrels, you just can't trust a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> but I I agree with you guys. It is it's it's not just cool, but man, it's flat out fun to read yeah. Wonder Woman in a story that's so different. Um, the art is fantastic. Moore isn't just a great artist, but Bonvillain is a major awesome colorist too. Oh yeah, and um, the what I like about the story is still that mystery of what's going on. And I totally suggest this art for a fun read, man. Um, I really do. The story, this one, was a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah, Rob, what did you uh, end up rating this issue? So for this one, I, I rated it 8.5. Very nice, very nice. But we're not quite done with Diana yet because we need to take a look into the past and see what our good friend young Diana is up to. We're going so, back in time. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Rob, do you want to take it away? Okay, so this one comes from writer Jordi Belair with art by Paulina Ganutro. Colors from Kendall Good and letters by Becca Carey. Diana and Cleo are walking through the library of Themyscira, preparing young Diana for her lesson on Amazonian history. Cleo starts over the darker chapters when Helene interrupts, saying the lesson should not be so harsh to the Amazons. Diana disagrees, arguing that as a future leader, she should know more about the bloodier adventures. Helene continues that as a leader, she should also not be so focused on book, all except for one, the statue of Aphrodite. Diana convinces Cleo to let her find the missing book as Diana is craving adventure. They agree to keep it between them, but Helene is overhearing everything. So this one, to me at least, really felt like a a filler arc. It, yeah, they they just they walked and talked, and here's more story for next issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, no, I I'm feeling a little different. I feel like the last issue was, well, the last time we saw this, I was not impressed whatsoever. But this one, I feel like it's kind of pointing us at the at where the story is going to go, you know, and I. I think that that's kind of cool that we're dipping into some new kind of uh, Amazonian Themyscarian lore. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we loved about Yara Flor. That's what we loved about Nubia was those interesting backstories. And we've okay. had stuff about Diana before, but it's all been real simple and cookie cutter. If it hasn't been an exact repeat every time we get a new origin story for her. it's something damn close mm-hmm. and you know I'd, I'd, I'd love to get more of that now that yeah. said it's fun but the art style is it's, it's still not my thing but I do like the story I did like the coloring 
but it's it's a small book it's not important it's a little fun i i gave this a seven out of ten so for the whole book i gave it an eight out of ten um which was a solid offering if nothing spectacular but i'd get this just for that first story well for sure yeah um i gave this a, a seven out of ten also it is a bit cartoony and like we were saying about the first one, at least what I said, I think it would be much better as a one shot geared towards children. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, or or even or even a, a like a well, what do they call those a YA yeah. graphic novel? Yeah, but it also feels, at least to me, it feels like there's a lot of unnecessary world building that we either already know or just doesn't need to be said. At least as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I, I I definitely felt like it was uh, definitely overly dense in some points where you really could have cut back on the mythology and all that stuff and really just kind of simplified it and gotten to the point. Um, and uh, it, it felt like a much more serious story at points, um, which didn't really work well with the artwork because you'd think, you know, with a book like Young Diana with this kind of silly cartoony art style, you'd want something a bit more innocent, but this is kind of, I don't know, focusing on like how bad some of the, the Amazons might be for keeping history locked away. It just, it felt a bit more of a tonal shift than the last uh, short story we got. So I ended up giving this one a seven out of 10. Uh, totally makes sense. Right there with you. And uh, that, Averaged out to, I ended up giving the, the main story 7.5, the backup story 7 out of 10. Uh, so my full score averaged out to 7.25. Fair enough. But we spent enough time with Diana. Let's shift away from the princess of the Amazons <laughs> to the prince of crime in Gotham with Joker number two. Uh, this issue was brought to us by James Tynan IV artist Guillaume March uh, with colors from Arif Prianto and letters from Tom Napolitano. This issue sees Batman and Jim Gordon properly catching up, with Jim Gordon revealing the facts of his new mission as Joker headhunter. Uh, and Jim and Batman are kind of going back and forth about Jim wanting to do the mission, but you know, not feeling very sure about what he actually wants to do, and Batman kind of acting as the authority, making sure that Jim brings him in by the book. And that's when Jim drops a bombshell that, admittedly, I was not expecting, but I think that we had all kind of known, uh, revealing that he had always known that Barbara, who had kind of been checking in, saying that, you know, this isn't a good idea, you shouldn't go after the Joker, uh, that he always knew that Barbara was actually... Batgirl, you kind of have right. this jaw drop. Right, moment. we kind of always knew yeah. that. Or it's always been kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge type of thing. But yeah. to hear him actually vocalize it for me was quite a surprise. But it's then that we cut away to South America, where Joker is at his safe house and is being confronted by the owners of that safe house after Joker essentially killed the very wealthy inhabitants uh, and decided that he was going to take his time. But after they're giving him guff about, you know, trying to get him the hell out of there, uh, that's when he reveals that he knows that everyone's coming after him, but he's going to do something about it and make sure that 
if they're coming after him, he's going to be coming after them in his own way. Uh, Jim and Barbara have a good heart-to-heart -heart about what he's doing, about his own feelings of inadequacy around the Joker, about how he feels that he let James Jr. die, and about how Barbara is also suffering with the fact that Jim could essentially be going off to get himself killed. Um, but Barbara eventually acquiesces to Jim and says, you know, if you're going to go, you'll have to go. Um, and that's when we cut to the final few pages of the book where we're checking in with our main enemies and we really see that the manhunt for Joker is on, where three different groups are essentially pooling their resources together and trying to determine how to properly go after the Joker. We have a new collective in Hooper County, Texas. We have a prison in Santa Prisca, which appears to be trying to create a new Bane, except this one may apparently be the daughter of Bane, and the big shock at the end, the woman, Cressida, who had hired James um, to basically go after the Joker, is actually a member of the Court of Owls, who have finally decided that it's time to teach Joker to beware the Court of Owls properly. Um, I thought this issue was very, very solid, very, very enjoyable read. I really love this horror take um, on the Joker, not so much a book focusing on, you know, him going around killing people, but essentially his presence and how harmful he's been to so many people. It's a really interesting approach. It's almost like a book about the idea of Joker, which I, I find to be fascinating. Um, the art by Guillaume March is particularly standout. Um, I just love the way that he renders this aging, almost like melancholy Jim Gordon. It's just really beautiful to look at. So um, I ended up scoring this one uh, a little lower than the first issue, and I gave it a 7.75 out of 10, just because it, it didn't quite hit me as strongly as the first issue, but I still had a really great time. Um, with that being said, Josh, how did you feel about this issue? Uh, first and foremost, amazing artwork, just flat out amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly flipped through this story a few times just yeah. for that. And uh, speaking of the story, I really, really love what they're doing with James Gordon. Uh, the Gotham-centric characters, they are really putting a lot of effort into developing them. Mm -hmm. And they're all really starting to get these personalities fleshed out. I'm loving that part, man. So keep it up, guys. Um, they're keeping Batman attached, but not the central character to the story, which makes a lot of sense. We know who the woman is now. The Court of Owls is back. And a female Bane, I didn't consider yeah. it to be his daughter. But, I mean, she might... It might be a revenge thing. She, It could just be a female that's been programmed to hate the Joker. I don't know. But hell yeah. Yeah, Give I think I, I think more. I saw an article or something that said it was Bane's daughter. So I might be I might be throwing that in there, but <laughs> I, I felt, felt like they were spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> it felt like uh, felt like they were trying to uh, trying to tie that in pretty heavily, given that they're at the Santa Priestkin prison where Bane was famously ruling and all that stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. That would make sense. Mm. I just didn't know he had a daughter. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, well Rob, obviously for me, holy crap, issue? what a good issue. I I had a blast reading this. The Court of Court of Owls with the new Bane, just so many big things and revelations this issue. 
again, like Jim Gordon revealing how much he knows about Barbara. As much as that for me was a great shock, it's also just like, yeah, that makes sense. He's a detective. He's he's probably Gotham's best one. <laughs> I don't yeah. Well, even then, like, I mean, other than who, like, who knows? Because if he, what else does he know? He's alluding that he might know other stuff, but I, probably, I doubt yeah, they'll ever tell us. It's all guess. just an allusion. Yeah. Um, it's obviously just an allusion to it. Well, it's it's like that that episode of uh, of Batman the animated series where you know Batgirl dies and he's basically able to trace the web back to Bruce Wayne. So my guess is if he knows that you know Barbara Gordon has been Batgirl all this time, it's probably yeah. doesn't take that much police work to figure out that Bruce is Batman, and from there. You know, you can pretty much figure out everything. Yeah. And also like that episode of the Harley Quinn cartoon. You were a damn good cop, Jim Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I love that show. Oh, God. I can't wait for season three. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're going to have to. Yeah. It is definitely not going to be here until the very, at the earliest, the very end of 2021. But more than likely, the middle of 2022. Oh, man. <laughs> Yep. Such a great show. I guess I'll just have to rewatch it three more times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So while I, Joker, while Joker hides out in South America, let's catch up with his current girlfriend, Punchline. Oh, uh, right. Josh, do you want to take it away? Um, no, I'm gonna leave it here for everybody to enjoy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, we are definitely gonna cover Punchline and. That was a story written by Sam Johns and James Tiny Onion Tinian the Fourth, with art from Mirko. Hey, he calls his his newsletter that. I can call him the Tiny yeah, Onion. Fair That's enough. totally fair. He gave us permission. Yeah. With we've got art from uh, Mirka Adolfo and Romeo Friado Jr. and lettering from Ariana Mar. Now we start out with I'm assuming the Queen of Hearts. It's it's. It's not how she's usually drawn, but she refers to herself as the queen, and she's got a lot of pull, and I can't think of any other queens in Gotham. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming it's just like, it's another queen of hearts, except this one's just, you know, standard gang leader. Yeah, with green hair, which yeah. threw me off. But anyway, she doesn't like the fact that Punchline is trying to run things, and she is putting things into play to stop just that. Meanwhile, our girl Bluebird and Dr. Tompkins are working against Punchline as well from the outside. Uh, after watching some Tic Tac videos, <laughs> very clever guys, <laughs> they know that they need to track down someone who was her only friend from childhood. Aiden Priest is the dude's name, and he's been keeping tabs on Punchline too. Back at the prison, the Queen of Hearts, I assume, has set up a parole violation for one of the, if not the, biggest earthbound female supervillains. And I won't spoil the surprise, but I really like this character. It's not somebody you see often, and it's cool to have her back in books. The art in this one, Fiardo does a great job, but honestly, the art was a little, I wouldn't say erratic, but definitely a little all over the place. The The punchline gets, story gets an 8 out of 10 for me. Uh, yeah. The whole book, I'm going to round up to a 9 out of 10 because I did have so much fun with this one. Even if it was lacking uh, just a little bit in the art department in the back half. Like that panel of Bluebird riding her motorcycle. That was crazy. What the hell was that? That yeah. was like, it was written for, it was drawn for a totally different comic book. Yeah. 
but in either case it was still a great book man so for sure the whole book it's a nine out of ten hell of a time oh yeah yeah no i i definitely uh had a really fun time with the punchline back up i think again just because it's it's awesome to see bluebird in action again i'm such a sucker for that character so anytime you put her in you know that book's getting an, an eight out of ten for me at least um but i, I actually <laughs> did kind of enjoy uh we're not partial at all yeah we're definitely not partial <laughs> no we claim to be uh bias free from the publishers <laughs> not the characters yeah not the characters <laughs> not the characters yeah, no. <laughs> it's the same it's the same with nightwing i can't i can't it just because of personal reasons, I, it's like impossible for me to to rate it lower than an eight out of ten, except for the Rick Race and stuff. But well, that right. was a, that's really over now. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, but yeah, no, I had a really fun time, and and I, I did kind of enjoy some of the stuff from Mirka and Dolfo, even if that motorcycle was really weird. Um, but oh, some of it was real good. Yeah, and then some of it was like, who drew this? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, I just. I had, I had a cool time with it, and I'm, I think I'm really just interested to see um, them get to the to the mystery of of this, you know, punchline thing, and um, and of course to see punchline come to blows with the mysterious character who I will not reveal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully that happens, cause uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Punchline's gonna get her ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fingers are crossed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love Punchline. I don't want her to die, but seeing her get her ass kicked is totally fine with me. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, Rob, how did you feel about this uh, Punchline backup? So I'm, I'm honestly thinking this mystery character. Just seeing how Alexis is going, it's going to be the complete opposite somehow, and it's going to be some like big twist, and and Punchline's just going to beat the shit out of the the mystery character instead. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Dude, that that's totally unreasonable, and oh my god, if that's what happens, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad at that book. Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> I mean, it, it, just, just I looking mean, at that it, last page, it, that's very it, fair. It, right? If, if Punchline physically just beats her in a fight, I'll be so mad. I'll, I'll write letters. I, I wouldn't even I'm say... Even it might not even be physical, but Punchline is very much more sadistic and mental. Yeah, like if okay, so if she arranges something or something, plants a trap, something along those lines, that I get. But yeah, I I thought it was great to see Harper back in costume. I know we saw her in costume last issue, I think, but to see yeah. her, you know, throwing batterings around and and yeah. just being detective like, it's it's great to see that again. I was sad when they wrote her kind of out that she just didn't want to do it anymore. And I'm like this is a great character. It's such a waste, but it's it's great to see it back. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? After this is all done, after this story is all done, I want to see a Bluebird versus Black Alice arc. Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd it would be, be interesting. very interesting. Do you do you guys remember who Black Alice is? Very vaguely. Yeah. I think she worked with the uh, Birds of Prey at some point. She, uh, for yeah, for for a little bit she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, but her like her whole thing is that she can absorb the powers from people near her. Yeah, and uh, the only thing is she can't. She doesn't have control over how long she has them, and she can only do. I think she can only do one at a time. But uh, I, I, it would be really cool to see a small group of of, of villains that uh, 
that Black Alice could borrow superpowers from going up against Bluebird. That would be cool. Would be. And drag drag Harper into it, and he can be a new bird, too. <laughs> yes. It would be Bluebird and Newbird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, so I, I gave this story uh, 7.75 out of 10. But for the whole book, I had to give it 9.75. Sweet. Well, we're not quite done in Gotham, folks. Next, we're going to be looking at some of our favorite characters in Batman Urban Legends number two, starting with Red Hood from Chip Zdarsky. So, Rob, I'm going to let you take that one in full. All right. So, like you said, writer Chip Zdarsky with art by Eddie Barrows with Ibra Ferreira and Julio Ferreira with Marcus Toe drawing the flashback sequences, Adriano Lucas on colors and Becca Carey on letters. So now we see Jason is reeling from his actions against Tyler's father. He calls Oracle in desperation, but cannot bring himself to face what he's done. In a flashback, we see Jason as a child living with his mother and her addiction. He has a run-in with her dealer in the hallway when he goes to get bread, as the dealer pushes him against the wall. After getting the bread and returning back to the apartment building, he sits in the hallway outside their apartment waiting for the dealer to leave. When he does, Jason has enough of his mouth and pushes him down the stairs, his first major act of violence. Back in the present, Batman is dealing with some goons when Oracle lets him know something is wrong with Jason. Batman heads to Jason's apartment, confronting him after finding out what Jason did. Jason does not respond well and the two get into a fight. Batman gets the upper hand, knocking Jason down, but Tyler gets in the way, yelling at Batman to leave Red Hood alone. He's a good guy. So this dynamic that Jason and Tyler have, I think, is wonderful. It's it's a twist on Batman in a way, but yeah. but yeah. like a much darker tone that suits Red Hood so well. And seeing when Batman knocked Jason down, the just distraught look he had on his face was almost heartbreaking. You can tell he does not want to do this. And even yeah. after all these years, he does not know how to treat Jason. <laughs> Yeah, having to care for, you know, another orphaned kid is just, it's an idea that's haunting to Jason. And he wants to give the kid a better chance, but, you know, he's afraid that, you know, he 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 won't put him in the right hands. He doesn't want him to, as he says, send him in the hands of, you know, some wealthy billionaire so he can become another Robin or, or something like that. But it's, it's definitely a very interesting exploration of the character of Jason and how he's kind of haunted by mm-hmm. his past as Robin, but also his past, you know, living in, uh, living in poverty and having, you know, a drug addicted mother and kind of dealing with that anger as a child. So, um, it's just, it's a fascinating character study and I, I really enjoy it. And, um, oh man, is it ever, oh, yeah, this, this one pulled on the feels for me so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing some emotional history attached to Jason's origin story is really good for his story and character. Oh, yeah. And it should help define him more as he's written, which I hope is longer than this six-part story. Uh, I know Chip Zdarsky isn't going to stick around that long, but I'd be okay with it for sure, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're already seeing some really good character building in just these two issues, and the art Every single panel looked A1, better than cherry pie, (laughs) B-A-U-T-full. Oh, man. (laughs) And that fight between Jason and Bruce, that was done so well. I just plain love this book. Easy 9 out of 10 story here for me. Definitely. 
771. Not a bad book by any means. I mean, like I said, still kind of getting used to the writing, but um, yeah, it just one book's one book's gotta gotta get it each week, and unfortunately, it's Wonder Woman. And like Rob said, it, it it's gotta be someone. So mm-hmm. uh, this week, it has to be Wonder Woman 771. And that's the show. Come back next week for more DC Comics talk when we'll be reviewing Flash 769, Catwoman number 30, Nightwing number 70, and Justice League number 60. We'll see you there. And as always, you amazing humans out there, thank you so very much for listening. You're the reason why we do this. Visit campsite.bio forward slash nutarobotcomics to hear all of our episodes on nearly any podcast platform patreon.com forward slash not a robot podcast for the exclusive content that we make for our patrons from all of our offerings with that there's only one way that we say goodbye around here until next time be good to each other and don't be a robot